Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us again this week on Women to Watch here at 1180 WFYL. My name is Susan Rocco, and every week I have the privilege of sitting down with some wonderful women in in the area and actually uh, beyond the Philadelphia region who are doing some great things. Um, I'd like to first mention if you're listening and you have any questions for any of my guests or would like to be a guest on the show to share with us what your uh, business is doing, please feel free to call me at 215-313-5561 or send an email to srocco233 at gmail. Today's uh, show I'm, I'm extremely excited about and, and I I think we're going to get right into it because I know I'm going to run out of time. Um, I'm just very happy to introduce to you Carolyn King Richmond, who is CEO of Micro Society. And if I can just give a quick snippet, uh, what that is, is is bringing real life to learning. And, and we're going to find out all about the organization and what Carolyn has been doing. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure, Susan. Thank you. Um, I'd like to find out um, about you first, uh, which is always my favorite part. And um, there's a lot, I've done my homework and and there's a lot of information on what micro society is all about. And I find it fascinating. Uh, I'm also surprised at um, that there's not a lot of people that are familiar with it and know what's been happening over mm-hmm. the years. So, um, but talk to me a little bit about where you grew up and your, your school years. Well, I'm a Southerner. So I grew up in North Carolina, um, one of five kids um, in Greensboro, and went to the University of um, North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Right. And um, it was a very different world in the South than where I ultimately ended up traveling. I was interested in different cultures my whole life, and, um, and I was always interested in how things connect, different peoples, different professions. Um, different parts of the world and how do these different um, segments of the population and of the world actually come together to get anything done. So that's, I think it's always driven me. And at a at young, a young age. age, I was just always interested in connections. Yes. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so, um, I, and I viewed the world that way. So I would, I would study history and I understood, um, it was always interesting to me what was going on in the art world at the same time and how one part of um, society impacted another. So it was just always a driving force in my life. And probably being the youngest of five, when I got to watch my, my siblings growing up, I probably you know got into that mode. But in any event, um, so I grew up in the South and um, graduated from Chapel Hill. From there, I tried a whole variety of um, life paths. So I have a checkered past, okay, I would say. which is um, interesting. <laughs> I always love to hear that. <laughs> um, actually, I do think it ended up being to my benefit when um, when I when you think about where I ended up. But I started out in publishing. I worked um, for a magazine in New York City, and um, and and I was interested in storytelling again, and and how how. Um, people come together and tell their stories. And so um, I tried that for a while, and then I got a, a travel bug and actually went to Europe, and I hitchhiked around Europe by myself for now, about a year. Was this right out of college? Right out of college, okay. yes. So I was about, this is going to be two years out of college now. Okay. So I hitchhiked around Europe, which you can't do anymore, um, and had a wonderful <laughs> time, met a lot of people, and... Um, um, my husband used to say, I'm a black sheep in a blonde package. So I think I started <laughs> young. I'm looking at you, and you're lovely and beautiful and blonde. And I'm thinking, what a free spirit. Good for her. I don't know that I would have had the courage to do that. Yeah, so um, that's what I did. And so for a year, I traveled around Europe and really um, learned a lot about different cultures and different peoples and really how much we are the same. 
And um, then I ended that trip, really, I was in a train derailment in Belgium. And that really turned my life upside down. I, it was a real slaughter. Um, most people in the part of the train that I was in were actually killed. And oh I was goodness. a sole survivor, really, or one of about five people in that part of the train. And so that really wow. um, turned my life around I for bet. a while. And I immediately wanted to pursue something in medicine. So if I ever found myself in that situation again, I would be able to help people. Mm -hmm. And um, so I took this detour and became a sort of renegade physician's assistant for a while. What year was that, Carolyn? This was probably in about 1978, 79, something like that. So Mm -hmm. going back a while. Right. Um, And then I worked in medicine, both uh, in a whole range of fields for a while. Um, Cancer surgery, oncology surgery, I worked at the Brigham in Boston and um, did cardiothoracic surgery in um, Boston as well. And then ultimately ended up going to Harvard because they had a very unusual education program and still do from what I understand. Um, out of the ed department, where you can design your own degree. And um, and so you have to pitch it to the education department. And mine um, goes back to what I was always interested in as a youth, which is how do people come together and cross um, intellects, cross um, interests, how do different ranges of the professions come together Um, I like to say it's sort of how do languages communicate, but not in terms of English and Spanish, but rather how do the professions communicate. Right. And so I created this um, degree at Harvard, and so I took courses at the Kennedy School of Public Policy, the law school, the business school, um, as well as the ed school. And um, and so I studied during that time. I how how is policy developed, and how do the different professions really connect? Which really, as it turns out, um, actually was the entree into what I'm doing now. So okay. when I finally um, did meet my husband, I came to um, actually I moved from Boston to Philadelphia to go to law school because medicine interested me and then law interested me. So I was just of a curious sort. Yes, yes. And um, so, um, and I think also there was a backdrop to that of searching of what did I want to do with my life, really. And and I I think a lot of people struggle with that. You know, we we end up getting on a track as an adult and we don't really know um, what got us there or where we want to go. Very few people I find really are blessed with having a pathway um, known to them from early on. My stepdaughter, for example, always wanted to be a writer. Right. And so she just always took that path as a writer. Right. But I think by and large, most people don't have that, that opportunity. We talk about that a lot in here. Oh, do because, you? Well, I have women from so many different backgrounds mm-hmm. and rarely are they in here doing what it was they wanted to do as a child? Right, yes, yes. We were actually talking uh, when I came in about did I know people at Penn, and I remember um, I interviewed at Penn for a job once, and this young woman, I mean, really, she must have been 15 years younger than me, and she said to me at one point, didn't you think it's about time you figured out what you wanted to do when you grow up? <laughs> well. <laughs> Which was, I know it was really, um, put me in my, in my I, don't, I don't know, it really stopped me. But, you know, I did think about that, and I realized, actually, there's a lot of advantage to being flexible. Yes. And that young people nowadays really need to learn, and I think they're, they are learning, that we don't stay in one place anymore, and that movement... Um, really is guided less by our profession than by our skills and really what skills we have can really compel us from one place to another. So mine was always interested, my um, skills were always, um, or pushed me toward connections. And so when I met my husband, who was the creator of Micro Society, I, I really found my home. Because micro-society, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into, but it's, yes. it's a miniature world for children to really self-discover and have opportunities that we're just talking about, how do, figuring out how do you fit in in the world. Right. And to learn by doing. Learn by doing, learn yes. Learn by doing. Mm-hmm. It makes so much sense. Um, now, did, was that at Villanova that you met your husband? Um, I had graduated then, and I was working as um, a lawyer at EPA, actually. 
And we met on bus 17 in Philadelphia. And we rode six blocks together. (laughs) (laughs) And he um, asked me to dinner. And we were together every night after that until he died. (laughs) Oh, that's such a nice story. Um, Okay, so now you meet your husband. Mm -hmm. And um, Dr. George Richmond. Dr. George Richmond, yes. And um, he introduces you to this, um, I guess, a program that he developed. I'm not quite sure how to um, describe it. but. I'm curious to know how he managed to do that um, against an education system that's been kind of in place in our country for for years and years and years. How do you go about introducing that Mm -hmm. at the beginning? Well, you know, you put your finger right on um, the the hot point because at the very beginning you asked me why haven't more people heard about this. And yes. I think it really, what George discovered back then um, has really persisted until today because when he was a, he started as a fifth grade teacher. He was um, just out of college. He George actually had a very interesting story himself. He grew up in the Lower East Side of New York mm-hmm. in a fourth floor walk up raised by a single mother and um on his uh, in route there you know he really didn't have many advantages he grew up in the living room is uh, in a one bedroom wow. apartment with the bathtub in the kitchen and they put a wow. board over the bathtub as the dining room table so he grew up in a very um very very modest background and and not only that overcame a lot of adversity that's overcame always an incredible story yes so um, George, um, coming from that background, though, is extremely smart and well-rounded in his skills and talents. Mm-hmm. So he was written up in the New York Times when he was 14 for his artwork um, as a wow. young man to follow. He wrote poetry. Um, but then he, was, he found himself in this fifth grade classroom um, right out of college. He graduated from Yale. And um, right out of college, he went back to his old neighborhood and started teaching. And so he was familiar with what these children were going through. These were fifth grade children who were, um, who had really dropped out of school or um, who had failed maybe fifth grade two or three times. So he found himself in this, in this classroom of these wild kids who um, really couldn't read or write very well and really didn't care much about learning. It was an out-of-control classroom, and the opening line of his book was, if spitballs could kill, we'd all be dead. (laughs) That was was the environment of his classroom. And so really he was trying to get a handle on how do I reach these children without becoming a tyrant. Right. And because he really was a pacifist at heart, and he wanted to reach into their souls and figure out what was going to make them want to learn. Right. And I think that's really something we all forget today. We're so overwhelmed with the tre- the stresses of test scores mm-hmm. and the types of um, test- testing, which maybe we'll talk about in mm-hmm. a minute, but the types of um, tests that we're looking at today. Um, we're so focused on that that we forget about the natural way in which children really want to learn. They're right. just naturally curious. Yes. But yes. we don't think about how to tap that. Right. So George was very interested in figuring out what that's all about. So he finally he went home on the bus one day, another famous bus ride. Another bus. And he was um, going home trying to think, what kind of society is this that children live in? So he started to imagine if he could relate his classroom to a time in history, that perhaps he could figure out his way to um, turn his classroom around. So he started thinking, is it a communist society? Is It certainly wasn't a democracy. He decided it wasn't a socialist society. It was it, more like a feudal society. In this particular school where in you're his, talking about. In his okay. fifth grade classroom yes. right, when he first started teaching. And so he finally decided what he needed to turn around this feudal society was a commercial revolution, just like in history. So he started paying children for their services and paper money. Back in the 60s, he called this soul dollars. And um, and it started really as a monopoly game, um, sort of a life-size monopoly game. The, um, we built shelving, he built shelving around the perimeter of his classroom. Um, and the kids built uh, buildings out of cardboard for the most part. 
which they bought and sold just like a monopoly. So George created this transition board, and through that, children moved around their property. And then there was a first bank robbery. And then from that bank robbery, um, the first courtroom was developed. And over time, what evolved from that one fifth grade classroom experience was the creation of entire society in miniature inside a school. I, I love that. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm going to stop you right mm-hmm. there. We're going to take a really quick break sure. for our sponsors, and we'll come back and pick up right there. Okay. News Talk 1180-WFYL, streaming live at 1180-WFYL.com. In today's marketplace, with the number of devices being used to access information online, it's more important than ever to have a web presence, no matter what industry you are in. Click Canyon is a local marketing agency that is focused on providing online marketing strategies and solutions for small businesses. Successful businesses realize the power of not only being found when searched for, but to also communicate with their potential customers and turn them into recurring business. Click Canyon helps small businesses click to be found, connect through conversation, and convert to paying customers. To connect with us, call 484-265-1064 or find us at clickcanyon.com. At Bluebell Physical Therapy, our goal is to get you back in the game, back to work, and back to your normal way of life. Our highly respected team provides preventative and rehabilitation services from everyday physical and occupational therapy to post-operative rehab of your knees, shoulders, or spine. Bluebell Physical Therapy focuses on achieving each patient's maximum level of recovery. Bluebell Physical Therapy, the treatment you need from the therapist you trust. Is your online store cluttering your house and garage with your product? Does it require you to spend all your free time shipping packages, leaving you no time to work with new customers or develop new marketing initiatives? Now is the time to free up your space and time and let ABC Fulfillment provide you with cost-effective warehousing, order processing, and shipping for your products. Our 20,000-square-foot warehouse is conveniently located in Ambler, PA. ABC Fulfillment is a 100% woman-owned and operated business and has helped many small and mid-sized businesses solve their warehousing and order processing problems. We pride ourselves on our attention to detail as well as our excellent customer service. When you call us, you will always speak with someone who can help you solve your problem and not be asked to leave a message. Our personal touch and expertise separates us from the rest. Last year, we shipped over 150,000 packages for our customers, including order processing and shipping for the Jill Steals and Deals segment of the Today Show saving our customers both time and money. If you would like to spend more time finding new products to sell, reaching new customers, and marketing your products, now is the time to call ABC Fulfillment. Please call 215-628-3154 and ask for Eileen or Lisa to help you get started. From Willow Grove to Westchester, Pottstown to Philadelphia, it's News Talk 1180 WFYL. Hello, everybody. We're back in the studio uh, again today on Women to Watch here at WFYL 1180. And I'm sitting with Carolyn King Richmond, who is CEO of Micro Society. And we're talking about, um, we're talking all about education and this incredibly innovative um, type of education that Carolyn is, is deeply involved with. And uh, when, right before the break, we were talking about um, testing and, and how um, traditionally in education, I think that what we're lacking is that um, real-life experience that children long for. Mm-hmm. And, when, you know, as you said, that they're naturally curious. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you offer them an alternative to just sitting and trying to listen to, to information being, you know, uh, thrown at them, mm-hmm. they're much more engaged. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to that? Um, yes, I think this issue is important on a couple of levels. One, because it's important just as we were just talking about, 
as, as the way to engage children. And if you don't engage children, then you're really, it, any efforts that you're involved in probably will be short term because children need to be, uh, need to care about what they're learning. Um, so that's very important on just a basic level. But it's also important because of the way, um, the direction of the world today. We're becoming so global and so connected. Information is developing so quickly that we really cannot sit back and just think that um, learning information and facts is all that we need to be responsible for. Right. And so, and that's, but that's what we're testing on today. So there's nothing wrong with accountability. The question is what we're being accountable for. And it's interesting to me because we talk a lot about in this country about how the United States is losing ground and we're behind so many other countries around the world in our education system. And yet people aren't looking at exactly what are we talking about when we make those state those facts. So, for example, there are two international tests that are really the foundation of this conversation when people talk about international comparisons. One is the TIMS test and one is the PISA test, P-I-S-A. And the TIMS test is, is based on factual recall, much um, like American tests focus on today. But the PISA test is much more futuristic. It was developed in the year 2000 when it became apparent to leaders around the world, really, um, what was going to be important for children to know and be able to do in the future. And that involved much more than rote memorization. It involves the ability to problem solve in new contexts. It involves being able to get along in the world, work in diverse teams, be able to take initiative, um, be creative and innovative. Those sorts of things you can't test on a standardized factual recall kind of test. Right. And so because we don't really have a test yet to measure those aptitudes, we tend not to focus on them. And yet, what's more important in the world to be able to succeed today? And I don't mean tomorrow. I mean today. Right. right. To be able to succeed today, you really need those 21st century skills. We call them now. In fact, micro society has been working on 21st century skills since really the model began, because as children are engaged in the process of running their own society, really creating their own laws, writing their own constitutions, developing their own businesses, writing business plans, marketing plans, understanding why a business may go out of business, right. what competition is, right. um, how to get along in a society, right. how to cross diverse lines and understand the advantages of diversity. Children have those opportunities in a very up close and personal way when they have their own um, society inside their school. So those skills and what we're looking at on tests today, I think it's, it's very short-sighted and we need to become, we need to begin to realize that we're, we're going to continue to lose our ground in the world unless schools begin to offer opportunities like micro-society. This kind of um, straight factual recall is not going to position our children well in a global economy. That's so true. And, you know, I'm just, as you're speaking, I'm thinking of myself as a student, you yeah. know, back in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And how, um, for me personally, I would have been so much more engaged had I been actually doing those things every day. As you said, you know, there have been schools and, and mm -hmm. times when um, teachers have put together opportunities for children to, mm -hmm. you know, as projects, mm -hmm. um, be bankers, merchants, right. politicians. Um, but to do it consistently is going to make a huge difference. Yes. Yes, the difference of what makes micro-society so unique compared to a lot of other project-based learning opportunities or entrepreneurship opportunities or UN, um, miniature UN opportunities for mm -hmm. kids is really that these children um, propel their own societies on their own and they grow and um, progress over time. So as children get bored in their jobs and they have to figure out what they're going to do, just like adults. Right, right. And so when you can learn those skills at a young age and start to feel comfortable with making those decisions and a willingness to, to transition to another time and another place in your life easily without feeling guilt or concern, but confidence right. that you have, again, those skills right. to take you to another place. It doesn't have to be about the job 
or about the profession even, in, in my instance, exactly. but really about the skills that you've gained and yes. what you have to take with you from one place to another. Yes, and it and it is empowering. We use that word a lot, but yes. um, there's nothing more motivational, I think, to anybody than to feel empowered mm-hmm. um, to, to follow the, their dreams and what it is that they want to do. Mm-hmm. And just to be clear, you spoke about accountability. This mm-hmm. is not children running amok in the classroom, yes. <laughs> doing whatever they want every day. Yes, I, I wonder if you can actually describe, you know, a typical day and, and what actually happens with the students in this type of learning. Okay, well, uh, um, now that you're asking me, I, what comes to mind is we publish what we call kids in charge stories every week. Um, and it's a way to bring positive news about kids' potential uh, to the world because we don't really hear that very often. We um, we all bemoan the fact that the news tends to cover so much of the bad news and right. it doesn't cover any of the good news. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to do something about by, something about that. So we publish these kitchens charge stories every week, and the one we um, we covered just this last week was about um, um, a child who had um, started a business. Um, I can't, I think this was in Illinois. And um, it, it was um, making uh, making balls that you could throw, and he and they. Created, How old was he or maybe she? Maybe third, fourth graders. Third, okay. okay, so they'd been running this business of creating these balls that were soft and you could throw, and a popular business balls for that a wouldn't while. Hurt, right. hurt each other. Right. <laughs> um, it was a popular business until pretty much everybody had a ball, and so well, then what do you do? You know, so. The kids were frustrated about, you know, they'd been so successful, and now they they weren't selling anymore. So they had to go out and canvas their community and figure out what are we doing wrong and what would you like instead of our balls. So they got a lot of feedback of children wanting um, T-shirts or children wanting... pocketbooks or pillows or things and and then they were struggling with oh dear how are we going to make those and we don't have sewing machines and we don't have the fabric or the money to buy these so um, one of the great things about micro society is its ability to really bring in the community because it is a small community in and of itself so adults came in in this instance one adult volunteer came in is this school calls them the parent CEO so this parent CEO came in to help with this one business <laughs> <laughs> and she said, no problem. We can turn this around. Um, right. She brought in her sewing machine. And in no time at all, they were making pillows. And so they were back to business. Right. Um, but I think that's just an example of a million kinds of stories that we have of children figuring out how to solve problems. And, and they do it not in a, out of a sense of rejection, but out of a sense of curiosity and right, possibility. Right, right. And so, um, and now sometimes they need help from adults, mm-hmm. and, and that's the major challenge of teachers in a micro-society is how to let go so that the children really go through these struggles and setbacks that we all are going to experience when we get older. Instead of protecting them and solving their problems for them, micro-society teachers learn early that they need to let go. Right. And when they do, what they discover is that the the solutions that children come up with are far more creative than they would have come up with as teachers. That's so interesting. So in this instance, with the the, the business, um, they knew they wanted to make pillows. They just didn't know how. Right, right. So they just needed assistance in being able to do that. Which is fine because I'm thinking, you know, adults need assistance as well. Mm-hmm. Um, when you speak to, you know, the children, the t- teachers trying to st- take a step back, at the same time, the children are learning that in life, whether you're a grown-up or a child you need help from others around you you know they're learning that collaborative kind of work uh, environment yes and in fact if I can pick up with that point um, we do need help and it's a challenge that many young people are facing today because so much of their lives has become now about their computers yes, and they right. and, and they spend a lot of time sort of in a solitary way mm-hmm. and we forget now how to get along how to build things together I mean there are many many progressive classrooms and schools around the country that are doing wonderful things like this um, the only thing I want to say about micro society is that it's different in that you can connect all different kinds of projects um, in one ongoing economy and so on a higher level of engagement that's very intriguing to children because businesses can go out of business right and when they 
go out of business. How does that impact a society? Right. Your employees are unemployed. That's right. And then what are they going to do and how are they going to pay their bills? So it's the interconnectedness yes, of, yes. of micro society going back to my interest in connections as a child. It's the interconnectedness of all this that makes it so um, intellectually, emotionally, socially, and economically interesting. Right. And 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 we are all connected. Yes. And, and everything that we do is connected. And, mm-hmm. and it's so interesting when you talk about how, you know, when one person does one thing, it affects not only them. Yes. Um, so we need to learn how to do things together yes. in a positive way. And we're learning that all the time as we become so, sort of this flat world that we're learning we're in. And um, and we are learning from from catastrophes that occur, like nine eleven, and how did that impact everyone across the spectrum in the world, not just in New York, but to the guy who sells hamburgers in in San Antonio. It's you know, it just it impacts the eco- the the economics of that really have a domino effect across right. the entire country. Right, and sadly, those types of events are where we see the most coming together, mm-hmm. uh, the most focus, and yeah. every one wanting to you know achieve the same goal Um, if if we can be more aware of that on a regular basis wonderful things would happen exactly yes Mm -hmm. I wonder if you can tell me a story about uh, any graduate a a great story about one of the children who's been through this uh, micro society and, and where they are today um, oh dear, there are so many. Um, you can tell me several. We could spend <laughs> okay. the rest of the show. We'll just yes, talk. I'll tell you. Well, you know, uh, there are many about um, children who have who who ha- had law experience, say, as a child, and they've grown they've grown up to become a lawyer. Um, you might expect some of that, but what I find to be more interesting are the stories about um, how society building as an experience helps children grow in really profound ways, um, not just professional ways, but in ways about how they understand the world and their place in it. So for example, um, we were meeting with some children in a very poor country uh, um, of West Virginia, um, coal mining country, in fact. And um, we were interviewing around a business table, sort of not unlike the one we're sitting at right now, mm-hmm. um, it, like a conference room. And children were sitting around the table uh, surrounded by adults and some parents. And um, when I arrived at the school, I was told that there were some parents who were not crazy about micro-society because there was actually a currency, actual, you know, the children earn money. And parents didn't like the fact that there was money inside a school. Uh, real money. No, this is not real money. This is micro money. So okay. maybe we, di- we didn't get to that. So if okay. you have an economy inside a school, then you have, then you have a, a currency. Right, So right. children earn dollars. They call micro dollars. George called them soul dollars early on. But every school calls them something different. But the, t- but the parents didn't like the fact that children were earning money, micro money. I, I guess so, I'm trying to figure out what, what the negative we'll would say be. That this is what's in, well. Oh, early on, actually, it was very controversial. People used to think you're teaching children capitalism, and what are you doing in our schools? When George and I were first married, we heard that a lot. Um, and so, we, and we, you know, people don't feel that way so much anymore. But early on, they would they would confuse the notion of love of money with um, the use of money. Right. And, and I can understand that, but one of the things children learn about money early on is how hard it is to earn and, um, and a lot of respect for parents so that when, when they have to work hard to earn their micro money, then they don't take for granted the hard work of their parents. Right, And so they right. learn all those lessons early on. Yes. But, but anyway, back to this situation in West Virginia where parents didn't like that idea, mm-hmm. um, I asked the children about it. I said, so what do you think about the fact that these parents aren't crazy about the fact that you have money inside your society? And this one little boy at the end of the table said, oh, oh, I would just tell her to shut up. Oh. And so I said, well, you know how children are. But I said, well, that's (laughs) you maybe, but why? So he said very, um, very um, seriously, money doesn't have anything to do with it. So I said, now, now that's getting more interesting. What do you mean by that? And, and he really didn't know how to continue with it. So a little boy to my right, who's maybe in fourth grade, said, um, oh, I know exactly what he means. 
He said, micro society is about this. He said, when I grow older and I have my own family and my own job and my own responsibilities, I'm going to remember what it was like to be part of a society for the first time and what my responsibilities are. And this out of the mouth of a fourth grader. Wow. <laughs> you know, wow. Yes. so these comments, you get extremely profound insights from children. And so what we learned later was that these, um, there were some parents who were struggling because they had been on welfare for some time, and their children were coming home asking them, how do you get a check when you don't go to work? Oh, because so I that's have a to sensitive work. topic, and so they it, didn't want to have to address right, that with the children. Right. Yes. And so you know, issues like that come up, and you have to deal with them sensitively. So it, it does call on teachers and schools to be thoughtful because issues like that are raised. But on the other hand, handled well, what better time to raise them? Yes. So it's, that it's, children learn, you know, do you want to be on welfare? Do you want to earn a living? Do you want to figure out how and why that's important? And if you learn how to make your way in the world, how does that impact the larger economy and the larger society and and yourself? Right, your, right. Your role. They're in learning the world. reality. Are we going to keep going? We can take a break. I think we'll take a quick break okay. and then we'll finish up. Okay. We'll be right back. Okay. From Willow Grove to Westchester, Pottstown to Philadelphia. It's News Talk 1180 WFYL. What woman out there is not tired of the department store shopping experience? Unkept dressing rooms, no customer service, and never being able to find the right size. This is your answer. Come shop with us. We are best dressed, and we are the most exciting new way to shop the beautiful private label of W by Worth. If you're tired of wearing only 20% of your clothing 80% of the time, Wardrobe building is a must, and we can show you how to do that and save money. Best Dressed is a business that offers a luxury brand of clothing that will forever be in your closet and always your favorite thing to wear. For the absolute best customer service, easy purchasing and returns, personal custom fitting, and shopping when it's most convenient for you, please contact Best Dressed at 215 266 5680 and be sure to view the spring collection at wbyworth.com. If you have separation or divorce in your current situation or future plans, you will not be alone in this journey when you hire divorce coach Sheila Brennan. She will guide you and provide important information about the process as well as personal support. With Sheila's help, you learn the skills and strategies to effectively manage your divorce. As your divorce coach, Sheila answers your questions, provides priceless advice, and offers the assistance you'll need in this uncertain and emotional time in your life. For a complimentary discovery session with Sheila, call 610-687-1414. That's 610-687-1414. Or find Sheila at brennandivorcecoach.com. Want your home to look great for company from out of town, moving to a new place, or just want the satisfaction of a clean, healthy home? Whatever your reason, everybody needs to clean. So why not choose the line of cleaning tools that makes your task easier? Quickie is your one-stop cleaning solution with everything you need to get the job done right. Whether you're cleaning one room or the whole house, Quickie has the right tool for you. It doesn't matter if you prefer a more traditional mop and bucket or if you'd like to save time with a new Quickie spray mop. Quickie has everything you need to get the job done. Founded in Philadelphia 60 years ago, Quickie's commitment to quality and value have helped it grow into the number one cleaning tool company in America. It's Quickie and it's clean. Look for Quickie products at Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, ShopRite, and other fine retailers near you. News Talk 1180 WFYL, streaming live at 1180WFYL.com. We're back in the studio, uh, everyone. Thank you so much for staying with us uh, today with Women to Watch here on 1180 WFYL. My name is Susan Rocco, and I'm here today with Carolyn King Richmond, and we're talking all about the Micro Society, uh, which is an educational program um, here in Philadelphia and across uh, across the country. Mm -hmm. So um, 
I wanted to ask you about um, how actually the regular curriculum during the school day with the children um, is connected to the micro society work that they do. How do, how do you connect the two? Yeah, it's a really good question because sometimes people view this kind of experience as enrichment. And while it is that, it's also profoundly um, educational in the sense of bringing um, real life to reading, writing, math, science, and so on. I think most teachers struggle with how do I engage kids in this dry material. And the best way to do that is to show children how to put it to use. So it's, um, this is really, if you, can, if you think about a period a day inside a school or in after school, as a period of applied learning, that's what it is. So it's a time where reading, writing, math, science, social studies all connect together in this one period of applied experience where children um, are able to grow and progress at their own rate in their, in their own self-discovery process. So in it, and it gets increasingly sophisticated because as you're running a society over time, you aren't held back by, oh, what is the curriculum of, I'm in first grade, so I should only be learning about first grade. You right, know, when you're right. mixing with children, and this, and this takes place school-wide, so during this period, kindergartners are mixing with eighth graders. And I mean, so in that process, children are not held back. A first grader may be um, engaged in analysis or real serious problem solving and reflection, which oftentimes adults don't think children that age are capable of. Right, right. And yet they do quite profoundly in micro society schools. So it's really an opportunity to advance learning um, rather than be held back, right. you know, and restrained by these, you know, clocks of classrooms and grade levels and that sort of thing. Yes, so and, it, and it opens up and, and um, uh, allows children that are intellectually capable of doing these things um, yes. to have that opportunity. Yes. It, you know, rather than, as you said, if they're in a specific grade and this is the curriculum, this is all we're going to do mm -hmm. today, a teacher might not know. Um, what some of those children are capable of beyond that. Well, you know, you're, it's an interesting point because one of the things we try to work with our schools about is is having the teachers who are working, let's say you, Susan, you're running a business in micro-society and you're in third grade. Well, the, your third grade teacher may not be working with you specifically during micro-society time. He could be working with me. So what we find happens is that the teacher who is working with you in your business sees a part of you that your third grade teacher may not see. That's and how important it is for those two teachers to share stories. Because right. what we find often is that children who sometimes act out in the classroom often become leaders during micro-society. And so it's very important for those teachers to share those stories so that they can begin to realize what children are truly capable of. Right. Instead of, again, leaving that to take place during the micro-period, you know? Right, right. So by sharing that, we all learn a great deal about the kids, and they learn about each other. Right. So that peer pressure really becomes, uh, it turns on its head. What we think oftentimes about peer pressure is being negative. But when you're in a positive environment, peer pressure can be extremely positive. And motivating. And motivating. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, I understand you're working on a very special project right now, and I'd love for you to share that with the listeners. Yes. What we're, what we're um, working to do now is expand micro society, really, by the way, if, I don't know if I made this clear, but we do work um, inside schools, but we also work in after schools, recreation centers, church basements. We have Saturdays. Saturday models. We have something called STEM City Saturday, which is now a Saturday model based completely on science, technology, engineering, and math, where, the, where all the businesses in the society are based on that subject matter. And so um, we have a whole range of areas in which we work. And so we're taking this now flexibility um, at to, to a citywide level, and we're starting to work in San Antonio 
um, with which is a very progressive city. I mean, I don't know if you happen to catch um, Mayor Julian Castro was um, spoke during the Democratic convention. He's a very progressive um, mayor, and the entire city of San Antonio really seems to be behind his 11 goals. He has this uh, San Antonio 2020 plan for the city. And what we discovered as we started to get to know San Antonio was that all of those goals for the city actually can easily be mapped into a micro-society. So what we're doing now is working with a whole range of segments of the um, stakeholders of San Antonio, the business community, civic organizations, elected officials, and so on, to sort of map those larger goals at the adult level in miniature for children in the school level and um, at the children and youth level so that children can have experience and learn the skills um, that they need in order to address those same challenges so that by the time they become adults, they'll be looking at new challenges in their city. Right, right. And, and so we're, we're sort of doing what the, the larger city is doing, but in miniature. Okay. And, um, and in that process, though, we're calling on all of the segments of the population of San Antonio to really, as I talked about earlier, roll up the sleeves and become um, almost adjunct faculty inside schools. Because there is no way today that teachers in, um, in K-8, let alone K-12, really have the time to become expert in, in the whole range of fields that children need to know about today. They can't possibly know about engineering while they're teaching third grade. Right. So the best way to do that, and again, to engage children, how, how does math relate to the real world? Well, through engineering. So why not bring engineers into the community, into the miniature into the community, into the, into the school society, and engage around engineering projects with children? And so that's what we're doing now on a citywide scale. It's very new, but extremely exciting. So it's, it's going to be, I hope, the first micro-society city in the country. So, so not Philadelphia. Not Philadelphia. Maybe another time <laughs> Philadelphia, but um, no, it just, we're, uh, you know, Philadelphia has huge struggles right now. I mean, most cities around the country do. Um, um, and, and that's not to say that San Antonio isn't struggling with education. It is. But they're making a lot of progress in other citywide efforts. And so um, we found a great receptivity from that um, from that part of the city. Right. Philadelphia is really being hamstrung right now because of so many budgetary issues. And while they're not alone, it really is severe here. And so um, in time, hopefully we can help um, mend those wounds and begin to build some of the same kinds of relationships across stakeholders that we are in San Antonio. Well, and what a great way to, to begin is to go to, to a state that's opened and, you know, wanting to, to maybe try something new. Yes. Um, that's always a good thing and to it's, do. And it's interesting because we're doing this also in other countries around the world. And what's so fascinating for me intellectually and, and emotionally is, um, and in many ways spiritually about micro-society, is um, is its enormous flexibility. We we have um, a trainer that started a micro society program in a hospital inside Kenya, a children's hospital, and so these children that are being treated for cancer by and large or um, are suffering from HIV, um, they, their lives are really gloomy inside these hospitals. And so we've now started a micro society right there in the children's hospital. And so children are discovering really, um, as one child said, he thought he was coming to the hospital to die. But instead, he learned what he was going to do for his life. <laughs> oh, my. Wow. That's really wonderful. Mm -hmm. And as you're telling that story, I'm picturing these children and what a, um, th for them to be there and to be able to continually be learning. Yes. And living and feeling and living. like they're yes. producing and contributing. Yes. yes. That's yes. remarkable. That is just wonderful. Yeah. Then we have a school in Columbia, just outside of Bogota, that is a kindergarten through 12th grade school. And that's been a very interesting experience. Um, it's a private school. And one of the challenges we faced there, it was very interesting, we've never confronted this before, is there were some children who were running a very popular muffin business, but they didn't want to clean the dishes. 
and apparently they had help at home and they never had to clean the dishes. And so one of the challenges was how do you overcome that? Right. And so, you know, it's an ever evolving, always changing um, experience, this micro society. But we did have some children, some girls who actually hated their uniforms at that school. So they designed new school uniforms and they became so popular that now they've hired a manufacturer in Columbia and their designs are now going to be uniforms in schools around Columbia. Oh my gosh, that's a great story. So, so every society just offers opportunities, very different opportunities. Right, and yeah. you can apply this this whole theory uh, or, or program, um, what, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. You can apply really. it anywhere, anywhere, and mm-hmm. it just brings people together yes. with ideas, yes, um, and is engaging. I love that. Mm-hmm. In fact, in San Antonio, um, we're being uh, asked to potentially build a micro society for adults as a strategy to help with um, expedite sort of cultural assimilation and um, language acquisition. So yeah, it's a, it's you can make of it whatever you you know whatever your goals are, you can flex with it. I have a great idea. How about we implement it um, in Washington? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Can we get? Can we do that to bring everyone to the table to be collaborative and get things done? Yes, that would be really tremendous. Wouldn't that be a great idea? Um, As as we come to the end of the show, and I'm really sad that it is the end of the show, um, and we will have to have you on again so that you can update us with. I mean, you just the stories would be endless. Thank Um, you. Yes, they are. uh, How do you find the students? That's what I wanted to ask. Mm -hmm. Um, how, How do you? Which students come to these types of schools, and how do you find them? Well, um, because of my husband's background, we really focused on helping the most um, at-risk, um, working with children in the most risk, at-risk communities. Mm-hmm. We were at one time, however, in Chestnut Hill Academy here in yes, Philadelphia. Yes. We are in a couple of private schools. Okay. And what we find there is that those children actually need this experience almost as much as those children that are at risk because they come from um, much more um, sophisticated backgrounds, um, but they don't really know still where they fit in in the world right. or how right. their parents got there, got to be where they are. Right. So um, so children come to us from all, from all ranges of, of places. I, I think they, they all could benefit from mm-hmm. it, no matter what their background is, because in the end, children are children, yeah. and they are curious, and they're trying to find their way. They are. Um, before the show ends, I would love for you, uh, Carolyn, to give some uh, any contact information out there to listeners who would like some more information about what you're doing. Yeah, so my name is Carolyn King Richmond, and my um, email address is cking, K-I-N-G, at microsociety.org. Our website is www.microsociety.org. And I do hope that any uh, members of the community that are interested in volunteering will get in touch with us. Okay. Thank you so much for coming in and, and spending some time much. with me today. Next time, have children. Oh, <laughs> oh, I would love to. I have an idea for that. Okay. Uh, that's it, everyone, for this week's uh, Women to Watch here on 1180 WFYL. And again, my name is Susan Rocco. If you have any questions uh, for me or Carolyn about today's show, I'd love to hear from you. So please pick up the phone and give me a call at 215-313-5561. Thanks, everyone, and have a great week.